0: Hello and welcome to Artie Party, celebrating participatory arts in the Northeast. Yay! My name's Jay Sykes and welcome to Our Party. We are a weekly program, podcast, and radio show sharing the work of artists and creatives living and working in the Northeast. Whether grassroots, emerging, or established, everyone is invited. Tonight, In partnership with Sunderland Culture, we are recording in front of a live audience at Mackie's Corner. I would love to thank Sunderland Culture for your support. It's because of you that this evening is possible. I'd also, before we begin, like to thank for taking their time to be with us today the right, worshipful Mayor and Mayoress of Sunderland, Councillors David and Diane Snowden. Thank you so much. (laughs) For the past year... This building, Mackie's Corner, has been used as a space for artists and creatives to exhibit their work. You might recognise it as the old sweet home Alabama building, as it's been for many years. And soon it's going to be redeveloped into another commercial property. But this evening... It's not quite a memorial, it might feel like it in a way, especially to some of our artists, but we are celebrating the year of Mackie's Corner being used as an arts venue in the city of Sunderland. The legacy that has left on the city and the artists involved and also looking ahead to the future. Barry West, please introduce yourself as an artist.
1: Well, I'm Barry West, I'm a conceptual artist, but um, I'll try anything. <laughs> Barry,
0: you are the coordinator of a group called Sunderland Indie.
1: Yes, guilty. <laughs> we had uh, our opening show here about this time last year, and uh, we had a footfall of well over a thousand people through, which, which showed uh, quite a lot of popularity and a lot of interest in, in the arts.
0: And two of the members of Sunderland Indy, I mean, I know that you also have had, some of you have had solo shows here as well, but two of the members are with us. So let's introduce
2: Anna Glover. My name is Anna Glover. I'm a visual artist and creative practitioner here in Sunderland.
0: Anna, you've had your own solo show as well as being part of Sunderland Indie's collective night.
2: Yes, I did. This was last year in October. It lasted for three weeks. And I really appreciate the space and uh, the opportunity of doing so in Sunderland because I have had solo exhibitions at other towns and other places. However, living here in Sunderland, I really appreciate I was able to have a solo exhibition in
3: here.
0: Fantastic. And our third live guest with us tonight is Cath Price.
3: Hello, Jay.
0: Please introduce yourself as an artist.
3: Well, I'm Cath Price and I'm a textile artist. So I do all things fabric with many different techniques and amalgamate lots of different weird and wonderful things, incorporating traditional heritage crafts, like the clippy and hooky mat-making. But also, I'll use lots of Indian saris in my work. And so it's a real mixture. And I also, like Barry and Anna, was here last September for my first show in Sunderland, although I have actually shown my work in other places, particularly in South Shields, but it was a great opportunity, and the whole year has opened up a whole new field for me, which I can tell you about later on.
0: Fantastic. The first thing that I'd like to put to all three of you is this space, what it has meant for you to be able to exhibit in the centre of Sunderland.
1: Well, it's my hometown, and it was an opportunity, I think, to pay back to my hometown all the gifts that it's given me over the years. As you can guess from my accent, I'm not a Macum. I come from the deep south, and... Um, Where's the deep south, Barry? Devon. <laughs> <laughs> Through the circumstances of being married to a Geordie, I landed up here. It's just a fantastic place to live. The, the folk are wonderful, and it's just a way to give back some thanks for uh, welcoming in, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very useful tool right in the middle of the town. I mean, this is what the town needs, is a, a hot spot for arts. To liven it up. Do you feel like there is a hot spot in Sunderland for arts? There used to be but it's moved north of the river. Hmm. Where to? To the glass centre. Putting back I guess the the arts into the the town centre is is, is what we're trying to do and it's very very important for a city of this size with the creative output of the artists in this town to have something in the town centre but it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do.
3: I think it's been important for artists to be able to meet together. That's what Mackie's Corner has personally done for me because I've been very isolated. I didn't take up my career as a textile artist until later on in life, about 24 years ago. But I'd had another career entirely in academia. I've been used to teaching. I've been teaching in Sunderland since 1977. And like Barry, it is putting something back into the town to show how you've developed as a person over all these years. It's very significant. I've been quite isolated working away on my own, meeting a whole range of artists in other spheres of art and all ages. I think it's a resurrection, you know. It's a wonderful thing.
2: It is also kind of really fruitful because when you are working as an artist in your studio, as Kath said, you know, when you are yourself isolated or even with other people in different studios, you don't have a kind of possibility to show your work. Being at Maciscona, Kona, it just shows you how many commercial units that are available in Sunderland, actually, which are free and empty, and how well they can be used by artists to just show their work. Not necessarily just creates all of exhibitions, but to see and experiment with your work, because often, as I said, when you are in your studio, you don't show your work, you don't talk to people, you don't know what you're capable of, and also you don't know how people actually react to your work. So this way people come they will be talking to you about is you can again not necessarily just meet other artists but also other people about and you will have that connection and you will have that discussion and the discourse about what
3: is actually going on in art world which often you don't have a possibility to do so. It does give you other opportunities to exhibit elsewhere. That's what Mackie's Corner has done over this entire year because I've been working at the Frederick Street Gallery both in Frederick Street and in the new venture in the bridges. And that's a whole new world. There's lots and lots of different things going on there. You can go and set up in the window with your easel and paint on a Sunday there if you want to. It's an opportunity for other artists to engage there as well. It's a good way forward to use the empty shops in this way. I think it's a very enlightened attitude, and I think we need to think about our city centres, the land use for our city centres, and how they need to change to respond to changing economic conditions.
2: And also, the commercial galleries, majority of the time, they only show artists which are well established, or which come from different countries, or somebody who is at that point in contemporary art. While if you are an artist in Sunderland or in a small city there is often, you don't have that foot in to be able to get into commercial gallery. So it's just nice for your own kind of self-esteem that's, and that's, development. It's kind,
1: kind of true in a way, but I think a commercial gallery is concerned with making money out of art. And a situation like this is good because you can experiment, you can put it on the wall and get a reaction from other people mm-hmm. apart from yourself. If your art works, you'll be told. If it fails, you'll also be told. You don't need to sort of like put yourself out there and worry about whether the work is successful or not because you're going to lose a sale. And this is, this is one of the key things about using a place like Mackie's Corner is that you don't have to play the capitalist game of doing what the market says or doing what the consumer wants. You, you can choose to do what you want. You can, you can take risks, do anything you want, really, throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. If it sticks, the public will tell you. If it falls off then you've learnt.
0: Kath, it looked like you wanted to say something about that. I'm
3: thinking about that. Mm. Yes, I don't really care what anyone thinks about my work. Mm. I'm not looking for accolades. I'm happy to explore it for myself. And I'm not looking, I have to say, I'm not looking to sell it. Mm-hmm. But if commissions do come my way, that's a whole new ball game and therefore showing a wide range of the different textile techniques I do. What I have next in the next room at Mackey's Corner here is something that would never sell in a million years because it's far too strong and are very much about the plight of children in the Yemen. And it's something I felt I needed to tell And express my feelings and emotions about that. And it's done in such a way that it's quite personal to me because I've used my 92-year-old father's army blanket as a background dated 1943. And he owned it when he was in the Middle East at that time. The personal connection with my work, I don't expect other people to have that. But it may well resonate with them.
0: It definitely resonated with me.
3: You put it up for me, (laughs) didn't
0: you? (laughs) I did. But, I mean, it's something that very much unites both Kath and Barry's work as well, especially, is that there's something in my opinion, very political about your work. It's commenting on... A social comment. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. So, cat's work, what you may be going on to mention is that it also, not just the, the war blanket, but also attached
3: to it are children's clothing. Ripped garments, baby grows, little dresses. And they are they are ripped, not by me, actually, but by a student of mine who brought them in, having taken out the heart of them to make a, a patchwork quilt for a niece and what I was left with was the debris which I was asked if I wanted to use snippets of fabric as I always do. I never refuse anything. Great recycler with the work that I do but when I saw them arranged in a certain way and I'd obtained the blanket from my father who lives in Gloucestershire and Barry had spoken from the Sunderland Indy. Well, we were actually part of the group All We Are Saying, Artists for Peace. The Yemen came up in conversation and I got to think about how they could be depicted on this blanket. And they are not sewn on. They are attached with vintage nappy pins because they are not permanent. And one aspect of my work is this concept of impermanence. It doesn't have to be here for a hundred years, and it certainly has to be changed with time.
0: It was a very moving piece. And then Barry, the first time that we met, again, another piece with a big social commentary attached to it was when you were creating your Tower of Babel piece, the the gold-coated guns that were stacked together. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder, as artists, is the fact that there's a space here that's accessible, where you're able to curate your own shows,
1: does that feed into your work. It certainly way. helps, doesn't it, to have a to have a, a place that doesn't rely on having to uh, sell your work and get a commission in order to exist, if you can hang on the walls freely. Well, that's our job, isn't it, is to communicate. And sometimes what we have to communicate is pretty serious stuff. Global peace, a 1960s Nick here, you know, it never leaves you. The world was in a terrible state when all we are saying started seven or eight years ago, and we've been... <coughs> showing biannually since then, and it's still in a terrible state. So I'm not saying that we're making much headway against all the arms dealers and the armament industry, but we're, we've got our say.
0: And being vocal and having the opportunity to, to make that voice heard is important.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's a silent voice, but it's a powerful one.
0: And then both yourself, Barry, and also Anna Glover, you have both curated in this space setting it up and working with the landscape of the walls, which are not your usual white wall gallery. Uh, how have you found the experience of working with these spaces as curators? You find a way.
1: You find a way. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's not ideal, but it's better than nothing. And we can build with something. And we have a central philosophy that the Sunderland Indy is zero-funded. We, we accept no money, either in grants or payment of any kind. If the artists want to sell their work they can, absolutely, but that's not our main aim. What we want is the independence of being able to create without the marketplace determining what we have to create. And that gives us the liberty to create anything, basically. Also, places like this gives us the, the freedom to express ourselves. This one that I put in next door, I've had battles over it. People don't like it because it's a hammer between the eyes. It's telling them how it is that we're doing this. That's our responsibility, the weaponry that's being used by the Saudis originates in the West. We've just got to accept, we're partly to blame for that. The last time this point was made was in uh, Mapping Armageddon, you might, you might remember that one, at the Minster, mm. but it was even more direct and powerful that, well you can just, you can just say it so many times to, to people and eventually Maybe they will get, get the hang of it. It's just not a good thing.
0: One of Barry's pieces about the exhibition he's just mentioning there in the Sunderland Minster involved inviting the, the, is it the pastor or the vicar, how would you say that? The,
1: oh, the yeah. priest? Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To yeah. um,
0: hold a large brick, was it? What was the object?
1: Building stone, what do you call them? Um,
0: a concrete slab A concrete slab, yeah. So to hold a concrete slab over a pane of glass, and underneath this glass was the picture of a child. Yeah,
1: the Iraqi child.
0: To hold it, and to drop it, and to watch the glass smash over the face of this chat. It was such a—I mean, I didn't see it, but just hearing about it, Barry. It, yeah. These are difficult statements to deal with, but you think that it's important that we—we we
1: are there. We've and got to own it. it. We've just got to own it, because it's in our power to prevent it. We have the political power to vote governments in and vote governments out, and if a government is sort of saying that they stand for peace and pacifism maybe they're the ones to be looking at rather than those that, that want to get money and taxes and the armaments industry that's, that's what I'm saying
3: Apart from that dealing with really big issues at, that are out there we're also very much autobiographical in our focus well I, I am and I think Anna might say something about her autobiographical connection
2: I was going to first talk about curating unusual spaces mm. because we are artists we are the inventors of the language of communication and inventors of showing our work in different spaces. And I think it's very important to show it in different spaces. The white cube, which was invented some time ago, is not always the best way to show the work. It may be the best way, it all depends how artists look at it. But at the same time, when you are experimenting with curating in different spaces, it gives you the challenge of looking at the space in different, from a different perspective. Often you find yourself kind of wondering, you know, how you're going to put your work on a wall which is not necessarily able to drill in or how you're going to fix them up. At the same time, I mean, if you look at this space over here, it's got lots of little quirks and mirrors and doors. and You need to make a sense out of the space itself and look at the work and just make it relatable to the space because not every work will fit here. At the same time... Every work may fit here if you make it fit in the way that it should fit in. So that was kind of about the curation.
0: And the conversations will continue after this quick message. If you've listened to the Arty Party podcast before, you'll know that this podcast is made possible thanks to five generous people who support us on Patreon. Between them, we are able to cover the cost of our podcast feed. As ever, a big thank you to Tell Irby, Joe Howell, Nikki Corr, Stephanie Smith and Laura Willis. More information about all five of our Patreon backers is available at artyparty.com. That's arty with a Y, party with an I. yi.com And now, back to our conversations recorded at Mackie's Corner with textile artist and tutor Cath Price, conceptual artist Barry West and sharing about the influences behind her own practice visual artist Anna Glover.
2: Talking about autobiography I also came to art in my later life. I've only been kind of really in arts over the last about 13 years. Prior to that I was also partially teacher and had my science degree prior to that so there was lots of other things going on including being mum of four. When I came to art, it kind of was ignited by my father's passion. My father used to do oil paintings and he taught me calligraphy when I was very little and he was very creative, any material. I remember when we had a carnival at school and him making me costumes out of, out of cardboard and they were fantastic. Sometimes I was opening a book and he would decorate it and he would paint it and he would put a poem in there and it was just something that I will never forget. And this is kind of thing which ignited my passion. Apart from that, I come from Czechoslovakia. We always had a arts and crafts, kind of in our blood, brought up with embroidery and making different types of mats, recycling, reusing. You wouldn't throw anything away. You would use it to make something else. And if you wouldn't use it for make something else, you would trade it for something else. And when I came to this country, I was really taken back by how much things were just throw away in a black sacks on the streets, how many things been given to charities or just literally just gone in a bin. Majority of my work is actually made out of rubbish and things that have been given because I don't see that as the rubbish, I see it as different kind of material, new type of material, because everything is made out of something. So when you take that something into the elemental, if you look at it elementally, you will actually see there's a material, something that can be again reused or renovated. Especially with throwaways, it had a past life. So why not bring that life back again to future and make something beautiful out of it? When I was looking at my solo exhibition here, I called it žena, which was actually... It's a Slovak word for woman. What was that again? Žena? Žena. Žena. It's a Slovak word for woman. Reason One of the reasons for that was because my paintings, which are majority before the exhibition I did, were in gold and silver. So they were described kind of as something which is luscious and expensive and something like a jewelry, and I thought this will bring me into perhaps looking into my past, where my ideas and my motivation really come from. Because I haven't done that since I started university, my BA in 2006, and done my master's. I I kind of learned lots of things about British art, about art from all around the world, but I've never had a time to look into what actually brings my art forward. Where my ideas coming from? And when I started looking at that, it actually made lots of sense in why I make large artwork and why does it look so solid. I looked into um, former Czechoslovakia and Slovakia and put two and two together and actually realised that there is lots of influence from Bauhaus. When I kept looking at it, it brought me to different women in art who actually were not really... Known until perhaps beginning of this century, one of them is Maria Bartushova. She actually was a Slovak artist, Slovak sculptor. She lived about 30 miles from where I come from. Her work, actually first time, been exhibited in 2006. She passed away in 1996, which actually shows you how women been kind of, not necessarily undermined, but not taken seriously as an artist. However, then I come across something which was exhibition from nineteen twenty nine in Brno in Czech Republic, called Civilized Woman, and how the original beginning of Czechoslovakia actually was looking at, at woman as very serious contender. And it was an exhibition of quite a few women and they contained everything from visual artists, from designer, from textile work, from architect, and between them they actually created very serious exhibition which was known all around Europe. But then after Second World War, again, certain things again disappeared and women, I suppose, were not so in the foreground as they starting to be. So a kind of feel for Maria Bartoszowa, knowing that she passed away in 1996 and really her work is just coming into foreground now. And in her collection, she created over 300 works.
0: But you're taking this and moving forward. I'm taking
2: it. this and moving it forward, yes, hopefully.
0: I help facilitate participatory artists and I know that the figure of female to male who work in participatory arts it, it does skew in favor of women. And I'd like to say that at least participatory arts, not high art. But I'm pleased that there is this this grassroots female focus space, I suppose.
2: One of the things I think why participatory art is more in women because people used to say the explanation is is the caring nature of women. We're more caring in a way of looking with with people working with people and working with communities, but it's not necessarily true. I mean, there are also men who do it. It's just, I think it's the nature of politics, unfortunately, it uh, sometimes in favor of one or the other.
0: So I would love to ask all three of you then, based off of your work here, the exhibitions that you've had, the interactions that you've had with the public who've come into this space to see that work, to comment and to network, as you were talking about earlier, how have you found that it's influenced your own work moving forward, and have you changed your practice based on its interactions in this Smacky's Corner? Not at all.
1: <laughs> Not at all? <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> because my work, it was political to start with. All, I'm, all I have now is a bigger audience. I've looked at rough sleeping in Sunderland. That was, that was a major concern. And the, the sculptures I did for the rough sleeping were shown in February, I think it was, out, out at Washington, out at the Washington Art Center. There was an immediate response to the rough sleeping sculpture. It's because it's seen as, as a social problem. I'm certainly glad there's a, two sets of chains in front of me to hear this one. They're there now. They, they want a place to sleep. The problem is that the hostels that we provide haven't got enough beds or there are not enough hostels. We have to sort them somehow. We have to do something. Hey, I never miss a chance. <laughs> 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 never I miss, it, you
3: never
0: should, miss should, a trick.
3: Sorry, go ahead, Kath. I was humbled to be able to produce the political work independently of Barry but on the same theme which I probably would not have even considered if I hadn't been in Mackey's Corner to be able to experiment in that way and suspend you a know, seven foot blanket from the beam. My focus over the last few years has been more autobiographical and to do with women as I've had a strong feminist influence in the way I work for most of my life, or at least since 1970. I also applaud the designer Laura Ashley from the designs that she brought out on her kitchen sink in 1954 through to the 1970s and 80s when I was a homemaker and buying the little bits of offcuts and scraps from her shops, making do and mend in my home to thinking about the kind of artwork I might do to celebrate her, and to incorporate other materials, all those tablecloths that end up in charity shops that have been beautifully hand-embroidered by generations of women for their bottom drawers, and the younger generation had never heard of a bottom drawer. But that's another story. To make work that applauds and celebrates the hidden women who produced all of those things and more, and also to make statements about my own life, and I produced a path, a Laura Ashley path, starting on the 1st of January 2018, going right through to the 31st of December 2018. I wasn't working every day, But that path was shown with my other Laura Ashley pieces that have been applauding the humble apron. And all of those were shown this year. I'm not going to say it's my last. Let's be optimistic. My first solo show here. Those aspects will continue to mould me and those around me, I hope, as I continue my quest to... Show these skills and share my skills with other people so that they will also take on board the value of slow stitch. It is a philosophy. It is important for everybody's health to do most things slowly, including stitching. Somebody once
2: said that every artwork is a political artwork because it's always in reaction to something or as an answer or as a mirror to something. So it doesn't matter if it is geopolitical or if it is cultural or if it is ecological. Every artwork you look at is a reaction from or for something. So when you're talking about political art, I mean, I have done some angry political art prior to now. I think I kind of toned it down a little bit because I wanted to feel a bit better about myself and not only in response to political things that's happening lately because I think it would hurt me pretty badly. I'm quite a soft person in that respect. So I need to protect myself. And I think the way how I protect myself is by making my art.
0: I'm pleased to hear that. I am. The fact that Mackie's Corner has existed as a space not just for solo exhibitions, as you're talking about, but also for the joint exhibitions under Sunderland Indy, under EMC Arts earlier... 2020, I mean there's so many groups that have used this space and again here with Artie Party as well. Hello audience! Hello everybody! I love that Mackie's Corner has been in the city of Sunderland to provide a space for people to get together. As you were talking about earlier Barry, it's about the, the networking opportunities that it provides for people, the visibility that we can give to artists in Sunderland to have a space available for them. And also to, as you hinted on earlier, to reflect against each other's work and for that to impact and influence your own. And I really want to again thank Sunderland Culture for giving me, for giving Artie of the opportunity of getting people together in this space for this last hurrah to see off the wonderful space that has been the two shop units of Mackie's Corner being used as a venue for arts. Over to you. What should Artie Party be covering next? And what can we do differently as a podcast? I would love for you to get in touch. On Twitter, we are at Artie Party, and our website is ArtieParty.com. Both are Artie with a Y, Party with an I. Why Please let us know how we could improve the podcast. And if you are an artist or a creative living or working in the northeast and you'd like to make an appearance on the show, well, let's make that possible. I wanted to open up this last section of Artie Party. Words to Mackie's Corner as a space. What's the last thing that you want to say to this building before it closes for redevelopment? Can we mention Seagull Feathers? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, mention seagull feathers You have to choose seagull feathers here They come in, in tons
3: I think they're angels really <laughs> They're a pest They're
4: <laughs> <laughs> so hard to hoover out of this carpet, I'll tell you that one. <laughs> What's that stuff? So they're hard to hoover out of this carpet
0: Especially with that hoover in that closet oh, That does yeah. not work properly <laughs> oh, Maybe the seagulls deserve to see the art as much as humans do <laughs>
3: I'm struck by the warmth and I'm struck by the good-heartedness of both the people who make the work and the people who've come to see it.
0: Thank you,
2: Kath.
3: I think it's bringing the history back again alive
2: because it's supposed to be a very old building with lots of historical connotations of Sunderland. I think it gave it an opportunity to become a little bit more colourful for a, for a year and bring in people which possibly otherwise wouldn't even come to this place.
0: Thank you, Anna. <laughs> where should, where should the magic of editing. No one's going <laughs> to do it.
4: <laughs>
0: Posey Jarrett, please. Posey, your question.
4: Okay, so I was really interested, Catherine, what you had to say about you were making work that you felt like you wouldn't otherwise have been able to make apart from having this space available to you. And Anna, you talked about everything being made up of elements and I suppose I wondered what you guys thought about this space being an integral element in the work, like how does it feed in to the work, how does it become part of the things that you make in in terms of your thinking about producing it and then in displaying and curating.
2: For me this place has to be given us as it is, it's kind of similar to my work really, taking something which is almost discarded. And make it into something beautiful. The other one is more like a white cube. Mm-hmm. However, this one is really quirky space and it had a lot of different things when we came in, which we had to move about or kind of position in such a way that it would work different types of exhibitions because every time exhibitions have been here is every single panel has been positioned in a different way. So I think it's when you take in this kind of old, disused building with funny flooring and we had to often adjust under, under the boards with piece of paper or a piece of card or, or a newspaper or something, it actually makes you feel more human, it's not just a white cube where you have to be precise and perfect. It actually makes, makes you feel more homely and easy to work with. And at the same time, it does give you the problem of positioning the work because the balls are very fitting and friendly. So with that kind of challenge in mind, you do have to use your creativity to your best. But that makes it kind of more homely and more friendly and
3: not so precious. Kath? That's the point, not so precious. I think I've intimated I'm not particularly precious about my textile pieces. And it's very gratifying to know that a hammer and nail would do wonders, you know. No measuring, screwing <laughs> yeah. things to the wall, having little brass plat. For us, hammer it on, nails. <laughs> Let's have an apron going in that direction. Let's have another apron going in that direction. So you could be quite free, mm. and that's what I think. I've. Uh, I think that's the fun. Because mm. I, I well, you're
4: allowed to respond to the nature of the space, aren't you? Yeah. So it, it your can. work has to fit in this. It, can. it can't feel
3: like a fish out of water in here. No, it, well, it would possibly in other places, mm. but this could go higgledy-piggledy and people could respond. And the response to aprons was quite amazing. Everyone had their favourite and it sometimes resonated with their family mm. and the aprons worn by family members. It's personal clothing, is a bit of heritage we tend to forget. I'm a bit upset that the textile gallery has been closed in Sunderland Museum and Winter Gardens, and now the only place you can see textiles and clothing in display, which we all wear, of all the ages, is at the Bowes Museum. So, for me personally, there's a lot more work to be done. There is a group called Threads. We meet monthly in the museum and winter gardens. And we share our skills with anyone who cares to come along. So it's still going on.
4: I was wondering, so you get to use this space for a little while, right? It's really this meanwhile use of space. So if you had the opportunity, would you like to stay longer? Or would you actually find it more interesting to move in different spaces in the city, or if you can dream, would you want the whole building and, and have spaces to work here as well? I, I'm just very interested, and in, there is a nice opportunity for you to use a space for a short while, but like, would it be of interest to do it longer or different if the possibility was there?
1: Do you have any, any influence? Is it, could, you, could you pull a few strings for us? We, we, we would really like it.
2: <laughs> I think so, as an experiment, it was a fantastic experiment. People enjoyed it. At the same time, I think what we need to keep it experimental and perhaps use every year a different building, mm. it gives you a different challenge and also it moves art into different parts of the sundland. Not always people will be passing through here. So if you take it to elsewhere, there will be different audience. People will come from different places. And perhaps after maybe two or three years, people start getting used to having art in a
5: city.
1: Do you know, I radically disagree with you there. I think, I think you need one place in the middle of the city where people will know that there's going to be art and culture and creativity on top, no matter what time of the year it is.
0: Or, Barry, should there not be 20 places? There could be. There could be both. Yeah, yeah,
1: of course. There could of course. definitely be. It would be, be you know, nice to have you know, one, one like, cultural like, space, but also it would be nice it an to an have an art, art centre.
2: Pop up. <laughs> <laughs> That's Radical some, ideas. Oh, well, we have one, haven't we?
1: <laughs> yeah, we have one. We we could get the old art centre that's not an art centre and turn that into an art centre.
5: Oh, we're getting political again, aren't we?
3: We could be (laughs) open for longer, too.
5: Hi, uh, Mirtaj Podovic. I I want to agree with Barry because uh, Newcastle has lost massive artistic centre because the city centre has been turned into stacks and a couple of other things and all of the photographers, the, the sculptors, the painters, the writers, the theatre people have been scattered hiddledy-piggledy all over the city. Now you can't find anything, you sort of go a little bit here, a little bit there. We need a place where everybody can come together and you know that if you just throw across the road there's something going on and up in that building, on the fourth floor and the third floor and we all come together. I'm losing an office in this space right now because within two to three years, it's going to be pulled down. I'm not staying in there. But guess who's in there? It's all the artists. And we're now being told that we're going to Shieldfield because that's the next big place where the city of Newcastle wants us to go and pay more money for smaller places that won't be open 24 hours. We need a place where all the artists can be together. Yeah.
3: In the center.
5: In the center.
1: That sounds very familiar, that, that, that kind of maneuvering.
5: Yeah. You're welcome.
4: Yeah. Steph? What I've loved over the last sort of, well, five, six years, mm-hmm. seven years, how long's Potrex been going now? Five and a half years. So we've had a similar situation, a similar experience here. Poprex were allowed to use what was the old tourist information shop on Fawcett Street. And that was meant to be a very temporary situation. We had the same situation here. There were a couple of exhibitions at the back end of summer 2018. We were given it back end of August, September We were initially told by Barry, when Barry was told by the building owners, we're going to have 10 people in for a week. We've got a one-day turnaround. We're going to have another 10 people in for another week. Right, get on it. And we got in. We stayed for two and a half weeks, then we had a quick changeover. That exhibition was on then another three or so weeks and then we were given it for longer so Anne got the opportunity to have a solo exhibition here and it just kept getting extended and extended and extended and while there was a will and people finding a way and Barry being such a a Brilliant communicator, people kept popping up out of the woodwork and saying, I'm an artist too, or I haven't exhibited in ages. And the whole thing's kept rolling, and it's been over a year now. And I know we've been told we've got to get out, but from what I've heard, they're like, Well, you've got to be out next week. Actually, it's been delayed a bit, so can you make use for the next fortnight? And they're happy to have us. So I totally agree with the idea of a permanent space, 100% desk. I ever disagree with Barry, my mentor. But the idea of also having the pop-up spaces and local people going hang on, wasn't this a sweet shop? What are you all doing in here? And having that unexpected pop-up experience in an f- unfamiliar, non-art white cube. It's good for the people, it's good for the artists. And the I don't know who's been involved other than the building owners, but everyone's just been so generous. And it's, it's, it's extended and extended and extended. So we might be here in three years' time if they don't get planning permission and the plumbers are late. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> see you next year.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Our guests today were conceptual artist Barry West, textile artist and tutor Kath Price, and visual artist Anna Glover. Arty Party's live events and website are made possible thanks to support from the Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund through the unlocked strand of Sunderland Culture's Great Place Scheme.